Friends, would you open with me in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 22. Jeremiah chapter 22, we're actually going to preach on the entirety of Jeremiah 21 and 22, but I'm just going to read the first five verses of Jeremiah 22 for us this morning. I'm in Jeremiah 22 verse 1. Hear now God's word. Thus says the Lord, go down to the house of the king of Judah and speak there this word and say, hear the word of the Lord, O king of Judah, who sits on the throne of David, you and your servants and your people who enter these gates. Thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed and do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. For if you will indeed obey this word, then there shall enter the gates of this house kings who sit on the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, they and their servants and their people. But if you will not obey these words, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that this house shall become a desolation. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, our aim... This morning is very simple. We want to see Jesus. We want to see him more clearly. We want to see Jesus in the book of Jeremiah. I think of Philip who asked the Lord Jesus to show him the Father. And now we today sitting here, we ask the Father, would you show us the Son? Would we walk out of here with a brighter and a grander and a fuller and a sweeter vision of who Jesus is and what he does. That's a gift you're eager to give us, and so we're really able to ask boldly and in faith that you would answer that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, guys, I don't know if you've ever had that feeling where you've written a sermon, and it has been crystal clear the entire week, and then you wake up on Sunday morning And the whole thing gets fuzzy on you, right? The thing that you thought was so clear is actually a lot more complicated than you set out to do. That's kind of what's going on this Sunday morning. Because of the fuzziness of the sermon, I want to state the agenda as clear as possible at the beginning and the middle and the end. What we are here to do this morning in the next 22 minutes is to see Jesus more clearly. We want to dig into these chapters, we want to understand these chapters in their own right, and we want to see the person of Jesus more clearly. We're doing that because our Bibles demand to be read that way. Our Bibles tell us that they are one continuous story from Genesis to Revelation that ties together creation and fall and redemption and consummation all by God's work that is accomplished through his son Jesus. When we open this book at any part, it should direct us to the person of Jesus and what he has done. That point is famously made, you might remember, in Luke chapter 24. Luke 24, Jesus has already died on the cross. He's risen from the dead. He comes alongside two disciples that are walking on the road to Emmaus. 
They don't recognize Jesus for who he is. They don't know that he's risen from the dead. They're very sad and disappointed. Not only do they not notice that Jesus is walking next to them, but they kind of show their hand to Jesus a little bit, and they say, we couldn't really find him in our Old Testaments. Like when we read our Bibles, we don't see Christ. And this is how Jesus responds to them. O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Wouldn't you pay anything to be a part of that Bible study? Jesus opening the Old Testament, Genesis all the way through, showing himself in Moses and the prophets. When Jesus reads the book of Jeremiah, he finds himself in it. If we read the book of Jeremiah and we find something else, that problem is with us. It's not with Jesus. This is right under our noses. We're like the man on the road to Emmaus. We can't find him in our Bibles and we don't see him standing next to us until he opens our minds to grasp his person in this book. That's the sermon agenda. It is, according to Luke 24, to see Jesus clearly in the text. We're going to do that by observation, interpretation, and application. Three things we can always do when we study our Bibles. We can observe things about it, we can interpret things about it, and then we apply those things, and that's basically what we're going to do this morning. Let's start with an observation. Let's just kind of dig in and get our bearings in these two chapters. What you have in Jeremiah chapter 21 and 22 is a catalog of Judah's kings. Now those kings have been jumbled up and they've been smashed together out of order without any headings. It's very complicated to get in this section of scripture and understand what, what's happening here. It took me like three commentaries and a Bible dictionary and a flow chart just to get my bearings on the chronology of kings here. I did all that work. I'm giving it away for free today. This is yours. You can write it down if you want to. You're not going to be tested on this, but remember that Jeremiah is preaching in the southern kingdom, the northern kingdom of Israel, after Israel split into two kingdoms. They've already been exiled by Assyria over a hundred years prior to this, and now we're watching the last five kingdoms, the last five kings in the kingdom of Judah before Judah is then attacked and decimated and exiled to Babylon. Here's the last five kings of Judah. You've got Josiah, a very godly king. Then you have Jehoahaz, Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, and Zedekiah. You've heard these names before. You're going to continue to hear these names. They're the last five kings of Judah before she's exiled. Now, the first king addressed in the last king chronologically is actually the first king that's addressed in our passage. And the first king chronologically is actually referenced in the middle of our passage. And the other three kings, they're kind of blended together and stuck to fill in the gaps. There's no way you're going to dive into these two chapters and get the order of those kings without that kind of work. 
So even if we lose the chronology and you can't tell me who became before Jehoiakim and after Jehoiakim, that's okay. I want you to just listen very carefully to one of the phrases that the prophet Jeremiah gives to each of these five kings, and I want you to discern a theme within them. Okay, I'm just going to read five statements to five kings, and you see if you can pick up the theme that's coming through in these two chapters. To Zedekiah, chapter 1, verse 12, execute justice in the morning and deliver from the hand of the oppressor. We turn to Jehoahaz, chapter 22, verse 3. Do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor. We turn to Jehoiakim, who's called Shalom here in our passage, 22 verse 13. Woe to you for building your wealth on the back of injustice. And then to all the kings, consider Josiah the righteous king, 22 verse 16. He judged the cause of the poor and the needy. Lastly, Jehoiakim chapter 22, verse 30, because of these injustices, you are disinherited from David's royal lineage. Your sons, they will never rule in this kingdom again. You see what's going on here? You can forget the order of the five kings of Judah, but the theme is loud and clear. You are to use your office of the king for justice and mercy. That's why God made you king, and that's how you're supposed to rule. We see that everywhere in our Old Testament. From the laws that were given to Moses at Sinai, to the record of kings in our history books, to the hymn book of the Psalms, to the wisdom literature of Proverbs and Job, to the rebuke of the prophets, God envisions a civil and a social system in which the haves, they will show deference to the have-nots. You who have... You who have power, you who have wealth, you who have resources, you who have connections, you who can network, you who have a safety net, the law, the prophets, the history books, the wisdom literature, they tell you that the haves are to show deference to the have-nots. Micah 6.8. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to show kindness and to walk humbly with your God. I love the quote that the vice president of Lyndon B. Johnson said, Hubert Humphrey. He said, the moral test of government is how the government treats those who are in the dawn of life, the children, those who are in the twilight of life, the elderly, and those who are in the shadows of life, the sick, the needy, the handicapped. That's what he says about government. The exact same thing could be said about the church and the family and the believer. He's simply speaking what comes right out of the biblical testimony from Moses to the prophets. 
So we're seeing here as we observe these chapters that God is for civil and social justice. That's what he desires. That's his ideal. But that plan has been completely frustrated in the kingdom of Judah. Where is Jesus in that? Where do we find Jesus in a passage about injustice? We've got to move from making these observations to talk a little bit about how we're going to do the work of interpretation if we're going to take these facts and we're going to find the person of Jesus. There are actually three bridges that God gives us that can get us from the book of Jeremiah to the person of Jesus. These are three avenues that will get us from here to Jesus, and we could simply call them our head, our heart, and our hands. Let me tell you how each of these work. Let's start with the head. How does your head get you from Jeremiah to Jesus? We said from Luke 24 and elsewhere that we have permission to use our minds. Our minds, they've been opened by the Holy Spirit and we can use them to think hard about the person of Jesus in Jeremiah. Now I'll come right out and say, Jeremiah is one of the most difficult books in the Bible to do this with. Jeremiah, he is top shelf exegesis. Don't expect to drop into the book of Jeremiah in the five minutes you're waiting in the checkout line and expect to find the person of Jesus in Jeremiah. That's hard to do in Jeremiah. I doubt you can really find Jesus in the gospel of John in five minutes. This is tough, tough work. We need time. We need prayer. We need friends to bounce these things off of. We need pastors. We need resources. We might have to set our alarm a half hour early. We might break a sweat when we're reading our Bibles. We might miss an episode of Silicon Valley. There are going to be costs behind seeing the person of Jesus because studying Jesus in our Old Testament is like the quest for wisdom in Proverbs chapter 2. Make your ear attentive. Incline your heart to understanding. Yes, call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding. Seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures. This is hard, thoughtful, heady work, but God gives us a mind that can begin to make the connections between Jeremiah and Jesus. That's what our head is going to do. Here's another bridge that God gives us to make the connection, and that is our hearts. When we come to faith, God gives us a brand new heart that searches for his son. It's interesting in Luke 24 that when Jesus rebukes these two men, he says to them, you are slow of heart. That's your problem. You can't find Jesus in the Old Testament because you are slow of heart. Meanwhile, God desires to give us quick hearts that will resonate from our hearts with what we read. When we read the law and the prophets about justice and mercy and care for the oppressed, our hearts are designed to want that. We see that, and that is beautiful to us. It's attractive to us. We long for that. And when we get to chapters like 21 and 22, and we see that it is not being done, our hearts are made to resist that. When I see injustice in the kingdom of Judah, 
When I see injustice in the country of the United States of America, when I find that kind of injustice and oppression in Colombia and even in myself and my own heart, I am utterly exposed. My heart reacts when I feel that and I see that and I am in dissonance with Jesus, the one who has come to deliver me. And my heart is designed to hope for a true king who is going to take the throne and that king is going to make justice roll down like a river and righteousness like a never failing stream. My heart is designed to respond to the Bible, to desire what Jesus is going to do with his throne. That gets us from Jeremiah to Jesus. The last one is our hands. I think of head, heart, and hands. The hands is the most difficult to absorb because we can kind of understand our minds are made for thinking. We're going to learn about our Bibles. We're going to make these connections. Our hearts are made for longing. We're going to desire and hope and hunger for these things. But how can our hands get us from Jeremiah to Jesus? How will they bridge that gap? Look at chapter 22, verse 16. This is probably referring back to the good King Josiah, where God says, He judged the cause of the poor and needy. Is not this to know me, declares the Lord? That's a really profound verse. God is saying that the knowing is in the doing. There's a kind of knowing that you only have access to when you begin to put these things into practice. Now let me give you a a wild scenario to think about. I want you to weigh these two things in your heart and see what you think about this. You've got woman A before you. She is an absolutely brilliant, brilliant woman. She knows her Bible backwards and forwards. She's read the thing like a hundred times. She knows Hebrew. She knows Aramaic. She knows Greek. She's actually dabbled in Akkadian. She's been on a few Mesopotamian archaeological digs. Between you and me, she basically has the code of Hammurabi memorized. This girl can whip kids half her age in Bible sword drills. I mean, she's the total package. She is every man's dream girl, right? Except that she cares nothing for the poor. She's brilliant but she is selfish and greedy. That's woman A. Now you got over here woman B, and what she lacks in education, she applies herself in mercy. Which woman knows the Lord? I don't mean which woman knows about the things that surround the Lord. I mean which woman woman knows the Lord. She sees the Lord. She's filled by the Lord. She walks with the Lord. Which woman knows the Lord? Because there's a kind of knowing that is in the doing. There's a way in which rolling up our sleeves and buckling down in mercy and justice is a bridge to find Jesus in Jeremiah. Doing Mercy makes us attentive 
to a Messiah of mercy. Let's just do a recap of where we've been. We're trying to see Jesus more clearly. We've made some observations about these two chapters. We said it's all about Judah's kings and their failure to execute justice. That's what they were called to do, and they are not doing this. And then we made an interpretation, and we said this is how this is going to work. We have a head, we have a heart, we have hands that are going to bridge the gap to let us find Jesus even in a passage of injustice like Jeremiah 21 and 22. Let's close just very briefly with a word of application. Let's just begin to put this to work with our head, with our hearts, with our hands. How do we take this and go from here and use this during our week? Let's start with our head. With my head, I see Jesus in Jeremiah 21 and 22. All throughout these chapters, we hear repeated again and again something about David and his throne. 21.12, O house of David. 22.2, the throne of David. 22.4, if you obey, you will sit on the throne of David. And when I hear David and David and throne of David and house of David, my mind is designed to go back to 2 Samuel chapter 7, which is one of the most important chapters in our Bibles. And it will change the way we read the Old Testament because in 2 Samuel 7, God comes to David and he says, I'm making a covenant with you. Your kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and you will always have a man who will sit on your throne. Your son will be like a son to me. Ever since I leave 2 Samuel 7, it's got me searching in my Bible for the substance of an everlasting kingdom. That's what I want to find. That's what I desire to see. I want to find in my Bible. I want to study my Bible. I want to see the nature and the substance of an everlasting kingdom. I take that presupposition right into Jeremiah 21 and 22, and I say, what could that kingdom look like? What does it mean, 21.12, to execute justice in the morning? Zedekiah is not doing that. What does it mean that Jesus does that? What does that tell me about a king and his kingdom? That sets us in the direction of our minds absorbing the person of Jesus in these chapters. That's what our minds are doing. And while our minds are working on that and unpacking that, our hearts have some work to do in this chapter. Because with my heart, I feel Jesus in 21 and 22. When I read words like justice, righteousness, deliverance, those words play harmony with my new heart. I read those words and I love those words. I want to love those words. I respond to those words. Those are my words. Those are the words of this new world that God is giving me. My heart is designed to make that connection and play that harmony in the text. But when I get to words in this chapter like oppression, violence, and greed, those play dissonance with my heart. There's something wrong here. There's something amiss. This is not the way the world is designed to be. This is not what Jesus has come to do. There's dissonance between those two things. And when I absorb this in my heart and I see a lot more of the latter 
the greed and the selfishness and the oppression, and I desire a lot more of the former, that is exactly what my heart is designed to do. By God's grace, to turn dissonance into confession and to turn harmony into obedience and to realize that as I walk through this Christian life and I fumble my task of justice again and again and again, it is just a foretaste of the hope to come. There is a king who is coming who will not fumble justice and he will not fumble mercy. He will execute it in the morning. He will lay the foundations of his kingdom in righteousness. And when I see that, my heart desires, hopes, long for Jesus. I read Jeremiah 21 and 22 and I say, come Lord Jesus, come. Deliver us. Deliver us, deliver me, deliver my city, deliver this church. Come, Lord Jesus, my heart wants you in this passage more than I've ever wanted you before. Our heads are working, they're thinking. Our hearts are bursting within us. They're longing for this kind of king. And finally, with my hands, I know and I worship Jesus. The knowing is in the doing. You have access to know Jesus more deeply if you will do these things. I let these exhortations from this text, which were originally directed at these kings, but now they fall on me as a living and active word of God to change me, to impact my time, to impact my family, to impact my home, to impact my budget. And lo and behold, the more I desire to act as a new kind of citizen in a new kind of kingdom, the more I find myself knowing and worshiping the king to come. Let's pray together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, hallowed, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Please lead us not into temptation. Please deliver us from evil for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory to come forever and ever and ever. Amen.